All right, welcome to this Christmas edition of 1819 News, the podcast. And one of the things we love to do at 1819 News is celebrate things that should be imitated. Courage is at the top of that list, and we're having one of the most courageous people in the state of Alabama coming on to tell us some of those stories. We have an incredible culture here in the state of Alabama, but our politics and public policy don't reflect the people of Alabama. Media drives culture. Culture is what drives politics and public policy. Welcome, everyone, to 1819 News, the podcast. I'm Brian Dawson, CEO of 1819 News and host of this here podcast, where we're in pursuit of a free and flourishing Alabama every single week. As you can see by the adornment atop my head, this is a special Christmas edition, and we're bringing bearded people that look like Santa Claus on to talk about, you know, all manner of things. Um, one that's a little more round and jolly, such as myself. And then we also have an, another guy with the Santa beard that's a little bit thinner. Uh, and one of my best friends uh, coming on, Mr. Greg Phillips. And it's funny, often when Greg comes on the radio or when he comes on our podcast, because we, we, we've we gotten to know him so well, we don't give him the proper introduction that he deserves. And we just assume everyone knows who he is. And so I'm going to not do that today. And I'm going to go into um, Greg Phillips. Uh, most of you would know him. Uh, as being the producer of uh, 2,000 Mules, an incredible um, film documentary that that showed how uh, the election was stolen by using uh, geospatial data. It's an incredible show. You need to go watch it if you haven't, especially as we're going into election season. He's also the CEO of OPSEC and has a bunch of other ventures. But more than anything, uh, he's an absolute patriot and warrior who's willing to die to make sure uh, that our country does not slip into the hands of tyranny, Marxism, and communism. So, um, bringing Greg on, we're going to be talking about a number of things, uh, some of the things he's working on, just getting us caught up to speed on all the different battles that, uh, he's going through defamation suits being filed against him and all of those things. Uh, but we're also going to talk, um, from Greg's point of view, he believes that we're more ready to fight than ever. He's going to give us uh, his point of view on that. We'll probably talk about data. That's a big thing for Greg. Uh, and then in the overtime, we're going to talk about how the media, is playing into these Republican primaries when, I mean, Megyn Kelly opened the debate up and just looked at Ron DeSantis and said, you're down by 57 points. What are you doing? Which I thought was amazing. And I'm grateful for Megyn Kelly. So that is what we have. But before we jump into the content, I would remind you guys to subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're on. It's either like subscribe, whatever. There's a bell for notifications. Click that so that you get notifications every time we publish a piece of content so you're not missing out uh and then share these episodes on social media facebook twitter x whatever you want to call it <clears throat> uh, wherever you are uh you know uh, whatever you're using please go uh, and share that uh, obviously you can't do that on youtube with us because we got the boot uh and we're forced to rumble thank god for rumble anyway without further ado we'll jump into the podcast greg merry christmas merry christmas <sighs> Happy Hanukkah for the for the uh, Jewish listeners. That's right. Happy. Started yesterday, the season of light. There you go. I uh, I don't know a lot about uh, the Jewish calendar. I should know more because it plays into Christianity, but it's not something that I'm as familiar with. Yeah, I I, th I think like a lot of Americans. I mean, with what's going on over there right now. I mean, we've got friends and others, people that we've worked with, colleagues that that are based over there and, and just in the last few days have had some really interesting conversations about sort of not only what's happening there, but you know, how is that affecting their businesses in the United States? Yeah. And it's a, it's a, it's an incredible, um, um, economic, um, 
upheaval um, that that many of these folks are experiencing. And and um, you know, no matter where you are on that on that side, um, you know, I, I'm on the side of of God. Yeah. Right. Amen. And, um, and the Bible's pretty clear on uh, you know who who and what gets to move forward from here. Yeah. Good stuff. Let's um. <clears throat> Some of the things that you and I are working on as far as Alabama stories, you're helping me with some investigations uh, and some pretty crazy stuff that will be coming out here in the next couple months. Um, one of the things that makes it so hard to to tell the story is the the absolute breadth of it and the depth of it. It's not like a mile wide inch deep story or it's not a really deep story that you can just follow. It's it's how big it is, how deep it is, how crazy it is. Um, how do you how do you tell a story like that? in written form. And then obviously you have, you know, you can do a documentary, you can do episodic podcasts. There's a bunch of different ways to do it. Um, but, but the challenge is there's so many moving parts and pieces and you have to kind of understand all of what's going on to understand any of it. And so it makes it hard. I think one of the things you have so much going on with what you and Catherine have been dealing with that it's hard to wrap your mind around. And so if you could just kind of catch us up on what you're even allowed to talk about, um, on what you guys have been going through, um, you know, and, and, and then if there's ways for people that can help. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, everybody hears about lawfare yeah. and, and while we've certainly had our fair share of litigation in the last 12 to 15 years, um, it's never been more of a front and center issue than it is today. Yeah. Um, in 2012, I think Catherine sued, uh, um, the IRS, um, she had a peri- across a period of months, she had uh, 23 different visits to her home or her business uh, from the IRS, the ATF, the, you know, the FBI, you name it, uh, all because she had the audacity, even back then, to demand free and fair elections. And, and really, it's in that demand. And it's not that hard, right? I mean, the, it, it's, it's constitutionally driven, first of all. Um, but the processes that have been established by the states are whacked. They're messed up. We were just going over, um, just before I walked in here, we were going over some of Maryland's voter rolls, for example. There literally is a person in Maryland's voter rolls whose city says this, I haven't lived in Maryland for 10 years. Take me off the voter rolls. This is an active so you have active and inactive on the mm-hmm. voter rolls. This is an active person in Maryland's voter rolls that that's the name of the city. It's obviously somebody who hasn't lived there just trying to get off the, look, just take yeah. me off the voter rolls. Um, definitely don't leave me on as active, but those kind of things are, are pervasive really through, through, through the United States. And, and I think that, that really it's, it's inside of those problems that, you're starting to see that the lawfare is really starting to cre- creep into other people's worlds, normal people's worlds. Um, you've got folks in in Michigan that um, that followed their law and um, proposed a set of electors as the law prescribes, um, alternate to the electors that that the, their secretary of state and their governor had signed off on. Um, they were arrested. Uh, they were indicted and arrested. Um, and all of them recently, I think, I think of the 20, 20, 16, 20 of them that were, that were arrested, they were all old people. Like, I mean, t- I'm talking about 80 years old. Mm. And so on fixed income, and they had nowhere to go. They had no lawyers. They didn't have any money. And so, um, 
so uh, they recently had to settle. So now they've got to live for the rest of their lives that, because we didn't have money to fight lawfare. We had to settle so that we didn't go to jail. What was really, were they really going to put them in jail? Um, in Nevada, they arrested several others yesterday uh, on this same topic. As it plays for us, um, we've got, I think we have five or six lawsuits still open right now. Uh, we had a three-week trial. Stacey Abrams and Mark Elias sued us in Georgia in 2020. Uh, in 2021, over uh, 364,000 ineligible voters that we help citizens over there challenge, um, which is interesting. But what's really interesting about it, Brian, is that that 67,284 of those people voted in November of 2020. Only 67,000. 67,000 <laughs> voted. 45,000 of them or so voted in in the runoff in January of 2020, wow. 2021. And so rather than trying to fix the problem, they sue us to try to shut us up. Yep. And that's where we are. So so we went through this two or three week trial over there. It was kind of a mess. God bless Catherine and everything she she goes through at True the Vote, because it was it was nightmarish. Yeah. I mean, we spent a couple million dollars, I think, on that lawsuit alone. We've got another one related to a two second clip of a a video from our surveillance camera that got into the movie. The person in the clip had he had a mask on. We didn't identify him. The movie didn't identify him. I didn't even know who he was till he came out and said who he was. Yeah. Um, and now they're suing us. So there's a defamation suit over that. Our was he one of the people stuffing the ballot boxes? Yes, but not. But didn't rise to the level of being a mule. Yeah. So we had a pretty strict standard on for the movie on on mules, and that yeah. would be more than ten times to a drop box, and then I think more than four times. And, and that's the, one of the things I want to point out about two thousand mules. You you guys, it was the most conservative estimates ever. You're like right. you in order to be a mule, you have to go to ten boxes. It's right. like actually two would technically make you one. But you guys said no ten, right? Because we want to show you how outlandish this is, and you guys like broke it, like came back in as close as you could, and with the most conservative estimates based off all the data you had. Even the most conservative estimates was enough to push the election over. Right. 242 people went to 10 or more drop boxes during the election. And also they had to have been to, um, I think it was three, maybe four of the nonprofits. So not only did they go to the 10 drop boxes, but those same people went to the nonprofits three or four times. Yeah. And, and you we can't even make this stuff up. So anyway, our, unfortunately, part of our, our lives these days is really centered around, most of our lives these days is really centered around all these lawsuits. And, and while we have the wherewithal to fight back, we always need more help. We're, we're spending a quarter of a million dollars a month on legal fees, a month. Um, you know, awful lot of money to spend on legal fees. But of course, what they're trying to do is they're trying to, to ensure that that we nor those old folks in Michigan or the folks out in Nevada or anywhere else, if you have the audacity to stand up and fight, they're going to do everything they can do to be sure that they ruin you financially, potentially put you in jail, all the other things that that you know for us, you, me, yeah, I mean that we fight about. I mean the death threats and other things that we all sort of live with. I mean, it's, how could it be that that we've become accustomed to? you know, walking into the office and they're having to be security around because somebody's getting threatened to be killed. Yeah. And that's just the norm. Oh, hey, how you doing? Yeah. Yeah, well, we got more security. We must have been threatened again. <laughs> and and I like, all you can do at this point is laugh, right? right? And it was funny because 
you know, early on in, in, in our friendship, you were the one that all that was happening to. And then now it's happening to me. And like, I feel like, like we're on equal footing now, although I pale in comparison to what you've been through. But oh, well, I don't know about that. We're certainly equally yoked. But, um, and I want to just back up and summarize the situation. And so, you know, behind the paywall, we did an interview when you got out of jail and I want to bring that back up for people who maybe haven't seen all of our previous podcasts with you. Um, you know, you discover this data that's on a server that's owned by Conic. Is that correct? Right. Uh, Eugene Yu is the CEO of Conic. Eugene Yu, <clears throat> Chinese Communist Party member. Yep. Okay. Chinese Communist Party member owns a company called Conic that does rapid ballot counting software. In Michigan. In Michigan. They discover this um, database, essentially, that's got all of the uh, poll workers' first, last name, social security numbers, checking accounts. I mean, address, kids' names. I mean, just unbelievable amount Bank of data. Bank accounts. Bank accounts. And it's uh, and it's located in in Wuhan, China. Greg and I is one of the first things we did together. Well, I didn't do it together. I got to go and participate and be a part of. Did a ripcord event, uh, the pit uh, in uh, Phoenix, and um, exposed that information. Got it out. Came on the podcast with us. Talked about what it was. You know what was happening. And then you were sued by Eugene Yu for defamation. Uh, and they actually used one of our podcasts in the federal. I've never they been did. more proud. They did. By the way. <laughs> what, what, what actually happened was they, they had lined up all of these different clips from all of these yeah. different podcasts. And I was, up on the, I was up on the witness stand. And you could tell they were all excited. Yeah. Right? They were all over there just all excited. And the, and the, the lawyers said, well, Mr. Phillips, can you see the screen? Yes, I can see the screen. It was like. Right here, uh, and the judges, judges over here to my right, and and they're like, "Well, we're going to show you some clips from the from all these podcasts." And of course, immediately in my brain, I'm like, "Uh oh, well, there's no telling what yeah, I said." I know. But, but we sat there for a good thirty minutes, and they couldn't get any of the clips to really run. So yeah. they started asking questions about the clips. And yeah. did you say this? You were on the eighteen nineteen news, and you said this, or you said that. And, um, and I just realized, you know, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Right. And then the judge took a judge realized it was ridiculous. And then he took over the questioning of me and, and, you know, one thing led to another and Catherine and I, they, they basically ordered us, you know, for the listeners who don't know, they ordered us to turn over the names of the analysts who had identified the location of the database. Yeah. And we refused. Yeah. And so we got to go to jail. Yeah. Went to jail. Uh, and, and the thing I think is, that 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 is as a guy who's been there, um, that I think is um, shows just kind of the the level of fortitude that you uh, and Catherine have. When I went to prison, I knew that I would for sure get out at this date, maybe sooner, based off good behavior and everything. And I ended up <clears throat> getting out, you know, with earned time and going into halfway. Blah blah blah. But I knew there was a, there was a finality to it. I understood. I did the I did this thing. It carried this sentence. Uh, you know, this is what I pled guilty to there. You had no idea when you were going to get out. No, you had no clue. It was no gonna, bail, yeah. no nothing. Yeah. Right, and this was this was all about a, a temporary restraining order that was given ex parte, meaning we had nothing to do with it. the The plaintiff came in and told the judge that we had done all this stuff. We were racist and xenophobes, and we hate Chinese people, and we hate this, and we hate that, and and whatever. Um, and and it was over a temporary restraining order. Um, um, argument whether or not the TRO should continue. We hadn't even gone to evidence yet. We yeah. hadn't even gone to the evidentiary stage yet, which we really looked forward to because yeah. we had, we in essence had the goods. Um, and so when they put us in jail, uh, we went, 
when they came in and cuffed us and took us downstairs, um, so for those of you who don't know, if you're in federal court, I assume it's similar in state court, but but in federal court, there is generally a jail adjacent to the courtroom. So in the back of the courtrooms or the next floor down or the next floor up, depending on what courtroom you're in, there is a jail. And and so when they came and got us, um, I mean, we, the court had been in session that morning. It was, it was Halloween morning of 2022. Um, and when they came and got us, they, they, they searched us in the hall, took us downstairs, put us in the booking room. And we sat in the booking room with a couple of U.S. Marshals deputies for an hour or more because they didn't know what to do with us. They're yeah. like, whoa, well, this is just a contempt of court thing. These guys, you know. Maybe the judge will let them go. When are they going to let you go? We're like, we don't know. They ended up separate, uh, somehow figuring out a way to to detain us. Uh, they separated us, sent Catherine over to where the women are, and they strip searched me um, and put me in sort of solitary all day. And then if our lawyer got to come visit with us sh- shortly after we were split up. But then I didn't see her again, nor have any idea what was happening until. And by now we're, of course, chained at the at the. For those of you who don't know the way this works, they they chain your ankles, they chain your wrists, they loop the chain through your 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 belt or the yeah. the waist, um, and so you you know you're yeah. waddling the around. Walk. Yeah, the perp walk. They put us in a in a um, in a, um, a transport van. Um, and to keep us from the general population, which probably wouldn't have been that great, um, at the at the front of the van they have two cages for either the people they need to protect or the really bad people, which either yeah. one in our case probably both. Yeah. Um, and um, and so we're Catherine and I are literally driving from downtown Houston out to Conroe, Texas, which during rush hour, so it probably took an hour and a half to probably get out there. And uh, and we're we're sitting there like literally the guys behind us the the general population guys behind us like what are y'all in here for why are you in here and uh, you know Catherine and I are just it was the most surreal situation and, ever I mean how did you feel because that's the thing is like I've been on those buses I've I've done the shackling and the transport and all that stuff but I was guilty of sin and did all of the you know everything I pled guilty to and then I was sentenced to you know that I I did it and and I was in there with a bunch of other people that did it I could not imagine being a God-fearing, hardworking, tax-paying citizen that's doing everything right, and then somehow that is where you find yourself. For for me, in part because of how I met Catherine, um, I was, uh, we we met through an introduction of a, a mutual donor, a friend of our, a friend of mine, a donor to hers, who said, hey, you really need, met him in, uh, in uh, Aspen, he and his dad in Aspen. Uh, at a uh, clay shooting event. And he's like, hey, you really need to meet this lady down in Houston. She's going through some of the same things you were going through because we had been attacked by the IRS just like she yeah. had been, or, or I thought just like she had been. Hers was way worse than ours. Um, and and I'm driving, so so I'm, I we, they set up the meeting and I'm driving from Austin over to Houston to meet with her early in the morning. There's a place called Bucky's. We got a Bucky's here now, by the way. Yeah. If you haven't been to Bucky's, you gotta go. Yeah, no, they're amazing. Yeah, we need to get Bucky's sponsoring eighteen nineteen news. That, let's let's make that happen. Yeah, because it's a perfect fit. It's like a fit made. Oh my gosh, yes. They need to have all of our merch in there. A hundred percent. Yeah, for uh, sure. A hundred percent. And so I stopped in Bucky's to get a coffee and literally just prayed and just said, God, what am I doing? It's like six in the morning. I, 
I don't have time to drive down to Houston and meet with some lady. You know, God bless her and everything she's going through. But, you know, God, what do I do? And it was just clear as a bell. Go to her. Just go. And so, okay. So I, so I hit the gas and I'm driving down there about 100 miles an hour because by now I'm late because I whined and complained so much. Um, and a cop stops me and, and um, you know, where, where are you going at 98 miles an hour, Mr. It's only Phillips? five miles over the, over the speed limit in Texas. Yeah, right. Well, they don't really have them. But, <laughs> I know. But where are you going so fast, Mr. Phillips? And I, I had no idea what to say. I mean, God told me to go meet this lady. I don't know. So I, so I said, um, I said, I'm going to save the world. And he looked at me and, and, you know, was looking at my gun down in the seat. And so I, <laughs> and he's, he's like, okay. Didn't give me a warning. Didn't give me anything. I just, so I took off and went and met God with her. Texas. So, so, so the, the point of all this was that I, I, I met her sort of from, it was put on my heart to go and help and sort of be a, be the tip of her spear for a while yeah. uh, to give her a chance to do, do the good work she was doing. And so when we were arrested on, honestly, all I could think about, especially those really throughout the time was I was more worried about her than I was worried about me. Sure. I mean, you know how it is. I mean, you yeah. know, we're, we're just guys. I mean, we're things are going to happen. You're yeah. going to, you know, there's going to be fights. There's going to be things. Right? Yeah. Stuff happens. Right. Um, but she's she's like an elegant lady, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, she's she, she's you know probably fifty years old. I mean, she's she's just a really really um, classy, classy, well spoken lady, and um, and all I could think about was her. You know, yeah. I was, you know, she's on a bus with you know she's the only female on the bus. Uh, number one, uh, but even when we got out there, you know, they separate, of course, and, you know, the guys go here yeah. and the women go here. So I never saw her again until we got called into the uh, warden's office a couple of days later because Trump called. Yeah. So Trump calls the warden, the warden calls us, we go down there, you know, of course I'm walking, you know, I'm in, in AdSeg and I'm walking, you know, waddling down, perp walking <laughs> down to, uh, down to the warden's office. And I'm like, Oh, this can't be good. <laughs> What's about to happen now? And I get in there, Catherine's in there and, and he just starts the whole thing off by just saying, look, I'm sorry, all this is happening to y'all. There's nothing I could do about it other than try to make you comfortable. I do want you to know that president Trump called me about you too. Like, okay, well, at least we're making some progress here. Yeah. Um, and anyway, they divided us up a couple of days later, we submitted a, um, an appeal to the, an emergency appeal to the fifth circuit in new Orleans. Um, next day, the fifth circuit ordered the plaintiffs to say, Hey, um, you know, we, they wanted to give them a chance to respond. Should these people still be in jail in your opinion? And of course they wrote, you know, all kind of manner of craziness. That was really the second time that I was really worried about Catherine. Um, she, she, she's her opinion was like well why are they even giving them a chance to say we should still be in prison right i mean this is you know eugene Yu's done all this stuff and they've done all these things and we're in prison for something we didn't do right well we we did not tell but but the the underlying case had nothing to do with that yeah so i was super worried about her through all of that um we had state reps uh, 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 come visit us. There's only, I think, 38 U.S. Marshals in America. Um, um, and uh, um, 
Marshall O'Connor uh, from the South District of Texas came to do a wellness check on us a day later, uh, who I presume also got a call from Trump. I don't know. Yeah. Um, he did a wellness check on us. Uh, the next day, uh, the, the Fifth Circuit, you know, in a, in a temporary order said, release them immediately. It was so messed up, Brian, that they couldn't even figure out how to release us. Even after the Fifth Circuit said, release them immediately. They, how do you release somebody that you don't even know why they're there? And so they wanted to be sure they were right with the court. And so they asked the court, well, what do we do? The court didn't answer until, you know, the following day. And this went on and on and on for a few more days. But there was never a time through it all for me that 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 I was scared. I was certainly uncertain. Um, yeah. um, and once I, I was able to, you know, um, you, you know, it, it, those first few days in ADSEG, I mean, I didn't have anything, not, not a not any way to communicate at all with anyone other than listening to the people talking through the pipes. By the way, if you've never been in jail, night shift prison and regular prison are two different animals. Yeah, it's crazy after dark. There's a lot going on after dark. Yeah. And they learned how to communicate with each other through the pipes, you know, like this block can, can talk to this block through the pipes. And so whether it's threats or whatever's going on, you yeah. know, across the board. So, and I, I can remember just laying there thinking, Wow, this is. But I was never really scared. I was I was fearful for Catherine, um, especially after I learned they put her in a um, in a um, um, a medical holding facility or a medical holding cell. So it was mostly glass, um, and it's where they put people on suicide watch or, or you know this. I mean, mm -hmm. And um, and so I mean she she had to spend I think five days in this medical holding facility, men, women, everybody walking past this, this, this cell. Um, and, um, you know, it was, it was ugly. I mean, and there were some, you know, there were some things that happened that did scare her. Um, uh, and, and again, it's not that I, I think I was more fearful of what was going to happen to her. And I've told everybody this, including the warden and ultimately our lawyers and everybody else that wanted to listen at that point. I started scheming on ways to get her out of there. Yeah. Right. I, I was, I was trying to figure out, I need to get back in front of this judge and tell this judge. And this was true. I mean, I wasn't going to be lying that, that she had nothing to do with the question. The question yeah. was who were the two people in the room with you, Greg? Yeah. Who were they? She wasn't there. She, it was hearsay to her because all I, I could have said it was you. I could yeah. have said it was anybody. It wasn't me. Just <laughs> don't want to go back. It was not Brian. <laughs> it was not Brian. Um, but but she she only knew what I told her, and the fact that they had locked her up. Yeah, it's crazy because I wouldn't tell. Yeah, this made no sense, and so I was scheming. I was thinking, well, I'm just going to say this, or I'm going to say that. I'll do anything to get her out of here. Sure. And really didn't care much about me. And, you know, in the, in the end, the Fifth Circuit was amazing. Our lawyers were great. They did, a, they did a, 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 an amazing appeal. Um, the actual order outside of, you know, let them go right now was devastating. I mean, they blew that judge up, the plaintiffs up, I mean, everybody up. Um, the judge ended up recusing himself a couple months later at our behest. And as soon as we asked him to recuse himself, the plaint, this tells you how messed up the whole lawfare situation is. So, so we filed inside of the rules and asked the judge to recuse himself because it was tense guys. I mean, it was, it was like, 
when, when I said I was up there testifying and he was interrogating me, he was interrogating me. I mean, he's like, well, Mr. Phillip, you keep talking about all this intelligence, this and FBI, that. I just want you to know I got the highest security clearance in the land and you're going, you're going to answer this question. No, no, sir, I'm not. And, and, and it was, it was intense and tense. Yeah. When he recused himself and we got a new judge by now, let's see, that was on um, Halloween of 2022. So by the spring of 2023, he had recused himself. We had a new judge. And um, now we were getting back into the evidentiary thing, which is where we wanted to be all along yeah. anyway. I mean, sometimes discovery is your friend. Sometimes yeah. it's not, but yeah. other times discovery can be sure. your friend. Um, and in this case, but, but we, we were coming up to a deadline when all of our discovery requests or all of the interrogatories were due. Um, it was on a Monday. Catherine had decided to um, just take a little bit of time off, God bless her, and and uh, and did. And and so what we did was we took our new platform, Open Inc., open.inc. You can go you can go there right now. Open.inc slash conic, K-O-N-N-E-C-H. What we did in Open, this was our first we had built Open Inc. sort of for this kind of thing, but we wanted it to be a place where where the real truth could live, not Google's truth or Microsoft's truth or whoever built the search engine's truth, the truth. Yeah. So we, we decided we were going to take all of those discovery documents that we were to turn over on Wednesday, and I published them on Open Inc. on Monday. The next day, they dropped the case. Yeah, imagine that. Yeah. I mean, because the truth was the truth. I mean, we, we had all of the goods. We had IP addresses. We had everything that you could possibly imagine to prove that all of that data was in China. Right. And it was a defamation suit. And so Eugene, you was saying that you were saying something about him that wasn't true. Correct. You were defaming him and it was costing him money. Right. Right. And so that's the point of a, of, of a defamation suit. So you're being sued for defamation, but he has unlimited financial resources as a Chinese Communist Party member, essentially right. here, trying to take someone like you out. And so how much money did you spend until they dropped the case? Oh, my gosh. A couple million. Yeah. So uh, here's Greg and Catherine who have limited resources. Um, we're going to bleed them dry, send them to jail, shake them up, you know, chew them up, spit them out, drain them all their finances. And then as soon as you're at the point in the case where you can actually defend yourself and show that you didn't defame, they dropped the case. Boom. Exactly. In the meantime, he had been arrested in Los Angeles. His office in Michigan had been raided. Um, and, and all of this stuff was going on. There was a guy that worked for him that he had asked to lie about all of this who, and then he fired him. The guy sued him. That case is still ongoing in Michigan. Um, but out of that case came even more affirmation from yeah. one of his employees that, yes, it was all true. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of other things, I mean, that, that we're frustrated about. I mean, there was the, an FBI involvement. I mean, we had turned all of this information over to the Bureau in uh, the spring of 2021. And um, they claimed they were working on it, doing all this different stuff. And as it turned out, um, um, you know, we, we learned uh, later on, and we, I think we talked about this at the pit, um, that that the FBI basically turned it on us, yeah. uh, or someone at the Department of Justice turned it on us. We're not sure exactly. Because originally, the, the agents that you were talking with that didn't work on the seventh floor, you know, you went to them and they were extremely helpful. This is a national security risk. We have to take care of this. They took it very seriously, you know, and, and everything was going. And then all of a sudden, it just 
two counterintelligence agents from the Detroit office were, or maybe the Lansing office, I can't remember which, but um, were, were deeply involved in this case. Um, and I mean, it was, it was, it's not a friendly relationship when you turn over that kind of information, but it is a, a, um, a compelling talking relationship. Yeah. Um, I went up there and met with them. Um, they, they offered to pay for all of it. They offered, we didn't, we didn't take a single dime from them. Um, and you know, in the end, um, you know, it, they've, we tried to get all of them to come forward in the defamation case and just say, yeah, this, even if you can't say that there's a investigation ongoing, you could say that they turned it over to us first and we, we can't let you see the info. But, um, but the FBI came back and told the judge, we have no interest in this case, um, left us hanging and, um, you know, ultimately, ultimately uh, put us in jail. What's, what's, what's fascinating about it all, sort of from a personal perspective, neither the, two analysts that were in the room who had both at one time or another been on my payroll. Um, um, they've never talked to us again. One of them's a relatively high profile media guy. Um, and uh, they just, you know, they decided to, uh, to just hang us out to dry as did the bureau. And, uh, you know, Catherine and I, you know, our circle of trust was already kind of this big. And by the time this whole thing was over, it was us, yeah. <laughs> the two of us. I mean, yeah. we don't trust anyone else. Yeah. And, and it was, it was sad and, and unfortunate. Here's the rest of the story now. So, um, Eugene, you filed something in LA County, which, and there's, I think it's today, maybe there's some kind of hearing on this today. I don't know what that was about. Um, what the, is the date today? December 8th? Yeah. The lawsuit is going, um, is still ongoing with that employee that got fired in Michigan. Um, our suit was technically dropped, but they, what they're frustrated about is that, is that LA County brought me out there to testify and the, the Eugene use, they just can't deal with that. They don't know what to do with it. Here's, here's the final piece of this. So where Eugene U is today, the, the, case, the reason I keep mentioning the case in Michigan that's ongoing, mm-hmm. former employee got fired because Eugene, you asked him to lie, and and he just told everything. He said, look, here's my path. He told the when the L.A. County investigators and, the, and everybody showed up, he's like, here's my password. <laughs> I don't want anything to do with this thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm out, and then sued him. That case is moving through. Uh, wrongful termination case is moving forward through the courts in Michigan. And they asked his, that case asked for Eugene Hughes' deposition and for him to show up. His lawyers came out and said, oh, he's permanently, permanently living in, um, let's just say Southeast Asia. He's that per- region. He's permanently living in Southeast Asia, working on a contract with Deloitte Consulting to run elections in this country, in that particular country. So he can't come back and testify about all of this stuff. He's never shown up in any, I mean, he did show up in LA because they arrested him. I mean, literally went and cuffed him and brought him out there. Um, But since then, he's never been seen by anyone in the United States. He permanently lived, according to, I I think it's the word permanently, lives in Malaysia or indefinitely, 
That's yeah. it. Sorry. Sorry. So for those of you that are planning on bringing me back into court saying, yeah. I said permanently and not indefinitely. Well, I mean, I have I'm going to have you on the podcast. The reasons I'm in court. <laughs> uh, but, but think about that. I mean, so you've got, you've got Eugene, you, the guy at the center of all of this hiring some of the most, the biggest law firms in America to fight against us. The rest of, uh, there's another little tidbit that your inter- listeners may be interested in. The legal team that w- that Eugene you hired in the defamation case, um, it's the Kazowitz Law Firm. They were Trump's law f- firm in New York. Kazowitz himself was Trump's lawyer in New York for 30 years. Wow. And then all of a sudden, you know, they've got Eugene Yu and he's suing us and you just can't make this stuff up. It's crazy. We could go into the more ready to fight than ever, or we could jump into talking more about your fight in Georgia. What do you want to do? Well, the fight in Georgia, we're, we're waiting on, or on the the first one, um, we're waiting on a a court ruling. Um, The judge, um, there was one little dust up that had something to do with me uh, that was kind of unpleasant. But as far as, as far as fairness, I mean, I mean, we come out of the, the Connick case thinking yeah. you know, there are no fairness. There is nothing fair. But he's an Obama-appointed judge um, in the Northern District in Georgia, up in Gainesville. Um, ran a tight courtroom. It was, um, it was um, you know, um, he was fair. Um, and uh, we'll see. You know, I, I hope it turns out. I hope it turns out well. Uh, I think Catherine expects there's going to be an appeal on either either direction. Yeah. Um, you know, but I don't know. I don't know. I mean, a lot of that just depends on, you know, how much uh, how much more we can bear in terms of. Yeah. But it's it's an important case because if the state's not going to clean the ele- the voter rolls and the citizens are not allowed to follow the law that allows them to challenge. Who's going to clean the voter rolls? Yeah, the answer is nobody. A couple of interesting tidbits came out of that 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 case. Um, the most important of which is what the law compels states to do is to clean the voter rolls, what they call regularly. But there's no definition for what's regular. To me, I'd say it's once a month. You yeah. know, it's, eh, if somebody said once a quarter, I'd say oh, okay. Um, twice a year. Mm, but iffy once a year, absolutely not. Too many people yeah. move. I mean, eleven percent of Americans move every year. You got to yeah. get in and clean these voter rolls. Here's what we learned in Georgia: the voter rolls are only cleaned in off years, every two years. In 2017, they were allegedly cleaned. Yeah. In 2019. Stacey, Stacey Abrams had just lost the governor's race in Georgia in 2018 and sued to prevent them from cleaning the voter rolls. So 2019, there was a lawsuit filed that prevented the state of Georgia from cleaning the voter rolls in 2019. That lawsuit was in place all the way through the 2020 election. So by the 2020 election, and the runoff that ensued shortly thereafter, they had not cleaned the voter rolls in Georgia. 2017. 364,000 people were on those voter rolls that had never, that hadn't been clean. 
And so that's, and then there's a, a law, Section 230 of their election law allows citizens to challenge right up until the, the, at 5 p.m. the night before the election, I can challenge in Georgia, you can challenge one's right to vote, but it has to be in your county. Yeah. Like somebody in Fulton County would have to challenge somebody else in Fulton County's right to vote. Um, actually, let me rephrase that. It's eligibility to vote. It's not right to vote. So if I know that you moved, I could go and there's a form you got to fill out or you got to give a reason. Yeah. The reason is Brian moved. Yeah. Um, and so the import of this case really can't be overstated because what happened is in 2021, they came in and sort of cleaned the rolls. In 2020, I'm sorry, the original case was was settled the 2019 case was settled in 2021. They claimed 104,000 off of the voter rolls from that out of the 364,000 that we were aware of. The rolls have already been cleaned in 2023. They took another, whatever, 100,000 off, 200,000 off. But remember, 11% of Americans move every year. Here's what we know. Based on our analysis, we believe there are right now 443,000 ineligible voters in Georgia or, or, or people that are on the voter rolls in Georgia that are ineligible to vote in their county based on the fact that they've moved, 443,000. So what I'm telling you and your listeners is this, those rolls won't be cleaned again until 2025. We already know that we're walking into a train wreck. Yeah. So this is what I was saying to you earlier is that is that we know more right now. We're better prepared to fight because we have more information yeah. like this. So the way it all ties together is if we win or lose this case, it really makes a big difference because if we if we lose it, we got to appeal it because no one will be able to clean those voter rolls in Georgia except the citizens. We the people have to step up and and in your county and say, I believe this. Here's the worst part. Here's the rest of the story. We have spent an incredible amount of time and effort building out all of the nation's voter rolls and getting them in one place. And there are other people that have done this. There are services that have it. You can buy it, whatever. But we we wanted we needed the voter rolls because we need to be able to not only go back and see you know what's out there, but we need to understand what's in these rolls. And it, it's not just that you know. Um, you know, folks have moved. I mean, there are all sorts of problems with these addresses. They're not normalized. I mean, there's all sorts of things that need to be done to clean these voter rolls to ensure that the process is real. But again, what we know today is that we will go into the 2024 election with four, at least 443,000 people on those voter rolls in Georgia that are ineligible to vote based on where they live. So if 10% more of a move between now and then, you're talking about a half a million people ineligible to vote that are going, going to have a chance to vote. Where it all comes down, down to, as I said, the question is not whether they're eligible to vote. The question is, are they on the rolls? Because if all of those are, if they mail all of those people, say, hey, vote. You'll get that here in Birmingham or wherever you live. The, having that number of excess ballots out there in the world is not okay. It's not okay. The bad news is, and we're going to be publishing all of this in the next in the coming months. Um, the bad news is, 
All of the states are like this. We've done Florida. We've done Texas. We've done Pennsylvania. We've done Wisconsin. We've done Arizona. We've done all of the battleground states. We just finished there, uh, Nevada. Um, um, we're doing all of them, and they're all sort of equally problematic. You, we're, we're literally talking about millions of people still on the voter rolls that don't live there anymore. That's okay if you never mailed anything out. It's okay if you had a means to prevent them from voting. Like in Georgia, if you're on the inactive list, for example, the law compels you to show your ID to be able to get back active again. But if they, if they mail ballots to the actives and inactives, I'm going to get a ballot sitting in Hoover, and I'm going to fill out my ballot, and I'm going to send it back in, and no one's going to check. What's going on? We call it, we call that the the rolls breathing because what they do is they take people out of the inactive list, create a means for them to become active to vote, and then leave them in the inactive list. It's called the rolls breathing. Mm. It's a mess, Brian. I mean, we're we're literally talking about millions and millions of people that are not eligible based on the fact that they move. Forget that the machines are bad or that the you know people die, whatever. All of that's true. Um, and, but the heart and soul is that, that it's true and everybody knows it. So here's the, here's the the final part of the story in Georgia and how it relates back to president Trump. I, I don't want to go into all the dates cause it's just too confusing, but, but you, states have to certify presidential elections in a period of time. And that certification includes a couple of things. One of them is the canvassing of the individual counties where you find out how many votes in in Jefferson, how many votes in Shelby, how many votes, and you add them all up. That's called canvassing. Then there's a process, if something seems wrong, where they can go back and, let's say, re-canvass or do something called a risk-limiting audit. Um, but, and it's it's exactly that. And all it really does is it limits the risk. You're not going in and checking. And in fact, you don't, the secretaries of state don't even know at that point who's voted. So all they're doing is the math, yeah. being sure that, that all the math matches. In Georgia, what happened is, remember, so November 3rd, the election, a couple weeks later, they do the canvassing. A week after that, they do a, another count with a risk-limiting audit, and then they do a final count on or about the 7th of December. So on the you know, rough a couple of days later, the governor and the secretary of state in Georgia certified the Georgia election, saying that this is right. But remember, they were already in court. They knew that those voter rolls hadn't been cleaned because they were being sued. Yeah. Three days later, after that certification, Catherine went to the secretary of state in Georgia, Brad Raffensperger. And there was a whole cadre of people in the room. Most everybody would know the names. They're now, you know, relatively famous there. And said, hey, Mr. Secretary, we've got a list here of 364,000 people that we're about to challenge. And we just wanted to come tell you this because it's a big list. You know, does this seem right to you? I mean, are are you okay with this? Hey, we're just notifying you this is going to happen. He gets out a piece of paper and scratches, you know, a few numbers down and said, yeah, you know, 10, 12% of Americans move every year. That's about right. Yeah, about 300, because we haven't been able to clean them because of the lawsuit. 
Remember, he had just certified this election saying it was true. So that was on the on or about the fifth, um, I think the 13th. On the 15th, we actually filed the challenges with the counties. Um, and we some of the counties we weren't able to, to file in because we couldn't find it. it. It required a citizen in that county. It wasn't just that Greg and Catherine found this, made this list up. Yeah. You had to find somebody that was willing to say, you know, put their name out there. And, and by the way, all those people got sued too, mm. who decided to, to step forward. On January 1st, two weeks later, Trump, on that now famous call where he calls Raffensperger and, and says something like, you know, we've got to find these votes and here's how you find them. Look, we, there's all these ineligible voters. There's all of this stuff. And Raffensperger said, there's nothing to see here. Nothing to see here, Mr. President. That's the, that's the case that now is in court over there. Catherine's done an affidavit on this for, for, for all of those uh, plaintiffs over there to use. But think about what I'm saying. They knew the rolls were bad because they were being sued. They allowed the election to happen. Why didn't they go to court and say, hey, we can't have this election. This isn't fair. And then certify the election and never know how many of those people voted. Because yeah. they didn't tell anybody until March of 2021 who voted in November. So it's not just that they were on the rolls. It's that 67,284 of them voted. Yeah. They voted. And then 45,000 of them voted in the runoff. Brian, it's, it's completely insane. Yeah. I mean, we, we've, we've lost our minds. And you see the way the game is played. Well, we're going to stop counting at midnight or whatever it was, right? And then all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the famous graph, right, <laughs> to the F, that's basically it's like, well, we have to figure out how many of these – uh, ineligible voters that would be technically that are not ineligible. We need to figure out how many we need so that we can win by 200 or whatever. If we don't clean, yes. If we do not clean the voter rolls, we are walking into the same problem again. Again, we already know 443,000 ineligible voters are on those rolls over there. We already know it. We're a year out. We already know what's going to happen. This is going to be a train wreck of epic proportion, especially because as you start adding up the other states, now we've done Florida, we've done Michigan, we've done Pennsylvania, we've done all of them. We're, we're already in the millions, millions of ineligible voters. And it's not necessarily because these people are doing anything wrong. I mean, people move, right? I've moved yeah. you know, countless times as my adult life. But because they're not cleaning the voter rolls and then they mail out ballots ballots to inaccurate voter rolls. And then people ask me all the time, well, where are all these extra ballots coming from? Yeah. This is it. It's it's really, it's really quite insane. The bet again, the best news that I can tell you is that we are now, it's not just us, but us and others are now eyes on to all of these problems. We have every single one of them. Um, we've, we've made the appropriate people aware. Um, next week, we're going to a, um, a critically important meeting to share even a little bit more um, on Thursday and Friday. And I don't know any other way to, to, to it, it shouldn't give everyone comfort, and I don't want it to because I still want everyone to understand you gotta work. You gotta get out there and work. It's not good enough. You know, I understand uh, Wes Allen um, cleaned off 30 or 40,000 people off the Alabama voter rolls. Okay. When are you going to do it again? Yeah. And again and again 
and how are you normalizing right how are you how are you normalizing addresses to be sure like there there's some people right on the Hoover Chelsea line that that their addresses still say Chelsea but they're actually in Hoover now um and and those kinds of things are are pervasive through. So first thing you have to do is you have to clean the clean the addresses up so that you know you're talking about this person in Hoover or this person in Shelby or this address or, yeah. or the correct address. So you clean those up and then you do your absolute best to try to ensure that you identify identity, residency, citizenship. And once you do identity, residency, meaning where does that person live, and then citizenship, then you at least have a chance to get the voter rolls clean. We do this in our healthcare business. We do this every day. Somebody walks into a hospital, one of our hospitals. First thing we do is what we call patient matching, identity, residency, citizenship. Then we can go in and look and see, hey, is there anything we can do to help you pay for your bills? Or is there anything we can, you know, is there a program we can find or whatever? And the fact that, that this is all available, it's all available from data brokers. I mean, they could they could let a contract to, you know, any of the big data brokers, Experian, Lexus, I mean, you name it, and get those voter rolls clean. It would take, honestly, to run the system, it would take a few minutes. Yeah. And clean the voter rolls. Do it once a month. Do it once a quarter. What I'm worried about in Alabama is, frankly, that, you know, we, we do what Georgia did. You yeah. Know, do them every couple of years. No. That's not good enough. People freaking move. Yeah, it's true. People move. People move in. People move out. Uh, people change counties. If you live in Limestone and you move to Shelby, uh, you don't get to vote in Limestone anymore. Yeah. You have to vote in Shelby. And those are the kind of things that really make our system really bad. And then the final part is, and this is in you know bright red Alabama. Yeah. Imagine what it's like in you know bright blue Michigan. Yeah. Or purple Georgia and the only reason it's purple is because of Fulton County. Exactly. And and I would I would I would share with you that that I personally believe if they would start cleaning those voter rolls, you would see that purple shift back to red. Of course. I mean the three hundred and sixty four thousand people, I'm not gonna say they're all Republicans. I'm not gonna say they're all Democrats because it doesn't matter. What I'm saying is that you put that many ballots in play that are not associated with an eligible voter. And you got a problem. What what did what did Biden win by in Georgia? I think like ten thousand votes, nine thousand, sixty seven thousand voted, sixty seven thousand two hundred eighty four. Wow, you got it, it's 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 nauseating. But again, I can't I can't emphasize enough. We know more right now than we knew in twenty twenty. We know more right now than we've ever known probably about the process. Catherine's an absolute election process expert, um, and she's she's optimistic that that. You know, we've got a bead on at least some of this. Do we think we'll get it all fixed? Probably not. But the fact that we can identify solutions to get eyes on and to to ensure that, you know, maybe what maybe we do, Catherine's had an idea here lately, maybe we get some candidates to do some, um, you know, some, some preemptive lawsuits to these secretaries of state saying, look, in my district, I've got X number of... Um, people ineligible to vote and I'm um, just putting you on notice that if, you know, if I even think something's wrong, you can't certify my election. Yeah. And so wise. you, you've got to, you, you can't, you, Mr. And Mrs. County commissioner or whoever runs the elections have to get in and at least clean those counties up. Yeah. And I think, I think it's a good idea. Um, you know, I think that, you know, predictably, you know, in, 
few areas it'll work and in other areas it doesn't. But the great thing about it is we've got all the we're we're fighting all this, we're doing all this. A lot of people don't know in twenty twenty in Spring of 2020, we were part of a lawsuit in New Mexico related to some of this um, in one. Um, this was in the spring of 2020 before anybody thought anything was happening. Yeah. We were the only ones to join in. We sued in Nevada and the Republicans and the Republican, the Republican, the Republican National Committee supported the Republican Secretary of State who hates us and went to the legislature and while we were suing them and got the legislature to authorize and say, oh, this is okay, just do it this way. And uh, the National Committee stood up for the, for the Secretary of State rather than for the people. And um, so we're gonna fight all of those things out. We've got 11 months and, and uh, it's gonna be a bloodbath for sure. Um, but I'd rather go into that bloodbath fully armed than, yeah. um, than um, you know, go into it sort of blind like we like a lot of people did last yeah. time. Die with our boots on. Die with our boots on. Awesome. And our Christmas hands. Greg Phillips, thank you. Thank you, Brian. All right, guys, that'll wrap it up. Uh, until next time, put your trust in God and keep your powder dry. Mm-hmm.